0: Hey everyone, I'm Mohini. And I'm Farheen. And we're not your average aunties. We're here for some gupsh up and
1: to speak about our lives and our views about the world. These are our thoughts in this moment. Welcome.
0: Just in time for Valentine's Day and Galentine's Day. Today, in this episode, we'd like to talk about love, romance, love addiction, and recovery. And in our episode today, joining
1: us is a friend, Amardeep. Welcome, Amardeep. We're so excited that you're with us today. I'm so
2: grateful to be here today and uh, feel very honored to be part of this podcast and to be able to share my experience, strength and hope.
0: We want to acknowledge that Farheen, myself and Amardeep, we are three cis, heterosexual, South Asian women. And so we'll be speaking about love, romance, And love addiction through our perspectives and experiences, which may or may not be different depending on uh, the different and diverse social identities we hold.
1: I think for some of us, the idea of love represents happiness, beauty, excitement, passion. You know, I think. Those align with much of what we are taught in our culture that love is supposed to be, it's supposed to represent, and it can absolutely be all of those things and so many other things. I think there's also a darker and painful side of love that may sometimes be captured in media or in music. There are plenty of songs about heartbreak. But beyond that, it's not necessarily something that Uh, is socially acceptable to talk about in public. And I think we are hoping to explore the concept of love and the darker side and the suffering and the pain associated with love as well, because we know that we are not the only ones that have had these experiences. And I think something that we are hoping to explore in our conversation today is the understanding of that difference between love and love addiction as well, because I I think a lot of people don't really understand what love addiction is. And it requires looking back and digging deep. That's something that we often do in our conversations, because we want to better understand the roots of our experiences, because we know that, that healing can happen when we understand where things began. You know, growing up, I remember being surrounded by Disney movies and fairy tales and rom-coms and the Hallmark Channel and love songs that really informed my understanding of love and made me believe that it is something that we all need to aspire to have in our lives and not just romantic love, but to experience the greatest love to experience our one true love, to find our soulmates and to be with them forever. So, there was definitely this energy of craving that has been in me for much of my life as a result of exposure to these mainstream ideas about what love is supposed to be. And, you know, even though my parents didn't necessarily have an ideal marriage, I think each of them entered into that marriage with similar hopes and dreams for that great love of their lives. They had an arranged marriage, and I think they were long distance during their engagement. And my father sent my mom love letters, which I found shortly after she passed away, and they were embarrassing to read them. But he wrote her many love poems, and they were dramatic. And the, in, the language was really intense and almost a sort of desperate or possessive kind of language. But that's what he learned, you know. and I remember that he loved Indian cinema and I think he wanted to be a Bollywood film director when he was growing up and he as a bachelor he lived in Europe and he lived in Paris which is supposed to be their most romantic city on earth you know whatever he was exposed to influenced his ideas of what love was supposed to be you know I think about the music that we listen to on the radio and growing up listening to Whitney Houston the one song and it came to mind you know how will I know if he really loves me I'll say a prayer with every heartbeat. So looking back, I think I can better understand how it was that I became really so preoccupied and fixated with with romance and love and craving that kind of experience for myself, you know, even from a very early age. Farheen,
0: what you said is so making me think of how much I have to and am unlearning about what love is. Yeah, you said craving. For me, love uh, feels grasping and wanting to be seen and heard um, because of so much childhood trauma. And something actually pretty profound happened um, this past weekend, and Amritip, I'm so grateful you sent that inner child um, healing meditation, because that over the last five days has provoked a lot of tears and a lot of grief and a lot of release, And I traced it back to being a baby, being less than one years old, and understanding that while my parents were trying to do their best, that I was not born out of love. Um, My parents also had an arranged marriage and they weren't loved and parented in certain ways. I think in an earlier episode, I mentioned my father was very loved by girl cousins. Um, My mother was probably neglected, shuffled in between the seven kids and not noticed. And her father, my grandfather was abandoned by his mother. So the the intergenerational fears about abandonment, not being worthy, were already passed down to me. And so I did a bit of a writing exercise really reflecting on this one particular moment that I know of through a photograph and how that photograph symbolizes so much of where I learned unworthiness, where I wasn't loved because my parents didn't know what love between them was. Um, So for me, starting right from the get-go, so much about love has to be unlearned. And I'm so glad we're starting off not just with romantic love, but thinking about love, all kinds of love. And later, maybe I'll talk about Bell Hooks's book, All About Love. I mean, she's just such a phenomenal writer and is helping me kind of uh, decolonize love in all of its forms. And uh, I'll just uh, finish this thought by saying that um, my most profound difficulties in life have been around romantic love. So I'm really so grateful we're talking about this.
2: So with myself, I find I would question recently a lot, do I even know what it is to love someone else and to love myself? I feel like just the childhood that I had was very traumatic. There was a lot of physical abuse, alcoholism, It was very confusing because, you know, there would be times that my mom would still say to my dad, oh, honey. And I'd be like, how can she, you know, refer to him as honey when their relationship seems to be so horrible? And I also, with my parents, grew up watching Bollywood movies. And I developed that ideology of wanting a fairy tale in my life and um, hoping that one day I could escape from my you know, home and the unhappiness, and find that fairy tale unhappiness in a romantic relationship. Unfortunately, that didn't work out the way I thought it would. And when um, you know, there's a lot of trauma and childhood dysfunction. I never knew how much it would affect me as an adult and in my relationships with people. I always thought, okay, well. I'm from an alcoholic home and an abusive home but you know I'm doing so well in school and I've gotten good jobs so you know I must be fine I'm not affected by it and the only music I would really listen to were love songs all the time and especially on my YouTube playlist it's all Bollywood love songs whether they're sad love songs or happy love songs mm-hmm. it's just like I had to it just happened on its own, actually. Um, When I joined um, recovery, I had stopped listening to my YouTube playlist, I just didn't enjoy it anymore. It was just so odd how that happened. Whereas I used to listen to it on a daily basis. Even where movies are concerned, uh, I have to be very careful in you know, what I watch and what I take from it and how I allow my mind to start fantasizing and thinking, Oh, you know, I wish I could have that. And reality is a lot different than what's uh, portrayed in movies and TV and social media and all of that. So my whole thinking of love was just pretty much escaping the misery I was in and finding um, someone to love me and fill that void that I had and just make me completely happy. Through recovery, I've learned that there's no one that can do that for me, except myself and my higher power. And luckily, I feel blessed that, you know, um, last year, I had the feeling of that void being filled and also loving myself unconditionally for the first time in my life. And just I find, you know, now that I can love myself, I can love my parents in a different way. I can love my siblings, my children, even ex-partners in a way that I never thought I could.
1: Um, You know, I'm thinking about the inner child and that little girl in us and how that's really where it all begins. And so many folks don't understand the legacy, the lifelong impact And like that, which we're dealing with as adults started so early, Mm -hmm. which is what makes it so challenging because it's, this is old, right? So it's, it's old pain, but it is possible to heal it over time, slowly, gently with practice. And, and the other thing that it comes down to is self-love, we stopped seeking outside of ourselves and i think we maybe never learned early on what self-love was i i don't i can't speak for both of you but i know for myself i grew up self-sacrificing and caring for others somehow i believed that demonstrating love was giving everything of myself no matter how it harmed me you know perhaps we saw our mothers um, at least for myself my mother gave a lot of herself and she suffered a lot and and we grew up thinking that giving is a virtue Mm -hmm. right and so that you're a good person if you give and that if you care for yourself that somehow that is selfish in my own life I'm really trying to uh, unlearn that and prioritize self-care and self-love and recognizing that it's from that foundation that I can actually love other people you know Amardip you're your comments around being able to have compassion and love your parents and ex-partners and anyone who perhaps we perceived as having caused some of our suffering, there's something so liberating in that. And you're right. You know, when we are able to love ourselves and we stop looking to others to fill the void, we are more able to extend compassion and acceptance outward
0: Yeah. Like you said, Farheen, I I just grew up with this idea that if I just give and give and give, and if I love others, then others will love me. They will pay attention to me. They'll see me. They'll notice me instead of neglecting me and me having to fulfill their needs. I think I was conceived not really in love and not, I don't even know if I was really wanted. I was probably a shock to my mom who arrived in England in the late 60s after a five-year separation from her husband, who she met on her wedding day. She didn't even know, and now she's shipped off to another country. She meets him. She's very fertile and gets pregnant right away. I'm marinating in her womb and she is confused and not sure she wants me and doesn't have her family around and is in so much pain herself. So I come out of the womb thinking that I have to prove myself. I have to love, I have to seek to get attention. And so that's where part of the trajectory of my love addiction and codependency starts. Um, Amriti, you and I met through um, 12-step recovery, and it has been so profound for me. I, I mean, literally this week, my life is changing. I was in a partnership, and my ex raped me while we were together, and that so profoundly changed my life. Now, for six years, I disassociated from that experience. I had other abusive relationships after him as well. So I learned that love is abusive, it's wounding, I martyr myself, I should just put up with things. I didn't know what healthy love was. There was a lot of passive aggressiveness and codependency and unhealthy communication, unmet needs. So then I was in this situation, I left that uh, partner, I didn't realize that I had been holding on to so much pain and anger. Fast forward to uh, this week, uh, with so much work and therapy and support and talking and crying over 18 years, I was able to release it because I was holding on to it, not understanding that I could let it go and not accept what had happened to me, that those two things could be true at the same time. I thought if I let it go, then I would be condoning it or accepting it. And I realized intellectually, I knew that was not the case, but in my heart, I didn't know that to be true until this week when I really, there is one final grieving piece and an epiphany moment where I was able to love myself, honor myself and the truth of that experience And free myself without accepting how someone else had chosen to violate me, to use their power um, in a negative way. And so, yeah, like experiencing abusive uh, relationships, I'm learning now um, that's not normal. And what is love? What, what is it? Not just in a romantic sense. And Amardeep, when you talked about um, love with our families, yeah, my mom was one of my earliest tormentors. She uh, alternatively neglected and emotionally and verbally, for sure, was abusive to me. And now I have a transformed relationship with her. I love her deeply. And have so much compassion for her. And I'm able to receive her love. That's a huge thing. I think I didn't realize how fearful I was of love. I couldn't accept it. So my pattern has been one unavailable man after another, not realizing I was supremely unavailable. I was terrified of love. Just so terrified. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where I chose men who, and I don't in any way want to say that we who have been abused chose it. I'll make that very, very clear because there is a lot of nonsense ideas out there that we choose to be abused and we choose rape and that is not the case. People chose to abuse their power. Having said that, I see a certain pattern I was locked into because I didn't feel worthy. And I didn't know what loving myself and what connecting to the divine and my divinity was. And I'm really moving out of that, like profoundly. It's happening so quick and fast. And it's pretty exciting. But it's not quick and fast. We, I've been working on this.
2: Probably my whole life. And um, I find, um, you know, just being from, you know, the South Asian background as well, um, it seemed like the love between my parents was one sided. My mom was doing all the loving, Mm. and my dad was just, you know, accepting it all and not reciprocating it. I have done the same thing in my romantic relationships. I have put all my focus on loving my partner and not getting any, well, not anything in return, but not getting what I thought, you know, would be something that I wanted seeing that unavailability between my parents as well. I just, you know, would go for unavailable men. And like, it's that whole concept of if someone can't love themselves, then how can they love someone else? Right. Now, after doing the 12 step recovery, and reading literature, and really getting to know people for who they are, am I really starting to understand what love is? I'm dealing with both my older children's father, who was who is my ex husband. And I also deal with uh, my toddler twins father, he was I wasn't married to him, he's my ex boyfriend. And just seeing the differences between the conversations I have with each of those men the way my ex older children's dad my ex-husband does things and says things I find that to be love saying things like you know did you know about this funding available for children through the government and caring about my financial needs and about my you know children that are not even his children that I consider love with my ex-boyfriend it's very much similar to I find how I, my mom and my father were. And it's all about fulfilling his needs. And I'm seeing it more and more, even now, when he's relating with our toddler twins. The focus always seems to go back to what he needs, what he wants, rather than what the twins need and how they need to be loved and accepted. For example, yesterday um, there was an incident where the twins weren't so interested in the video call with their dad for some reason. After the call, you know, said to me, they don't seem interested in me anymore. I could just tell it was more about not watching what the twins were doing and loving them and enjoying them. It was more about filling his void. It's unfortunate that um, that's the way life is. So um, to me, I really realized that love is give and take. When you're giving, you're not expecting something in return. It's just pure, authentic love. Yeah,
0: um, Amriti, like what you said about... Um, when we don't have self-love, how can we give love? And for me, I thought um, when, when I don't have a sense of self-worth and self-love, I'm, my need is going to be so insatiable. No one outside of me is going to be able to fill it. And so hence the frustration and the demands and the, all the chaos trying to fill a void, right? So when I hear you talk about your um, ex-partner, the father of your, you know, he's, we're spinning because we haven't found that ground beneath our own feet. And therefore I have just looked outside of myself for someone else to fill that void and then heaped all kinds of expectations on those people and they could have never met them. Never because it's not it's not their job. It's as they say an inside job. It's a it's it's work and a relationship with myself and the divine to guide me through that. That's what it is.
1: I'm thinking about this idea of power and almost like our life essence, you know, Mm -hmm. and this notion of giving it away. Oh. or cultivating it within ourselves, you know, and, and seeking that external validation. For me, historically, um, prior to my current relationship, the pattern was seeking that validation from the uh, romantic relationships I was in, and almost not knowing how I felt about myself until I could see how they felt about me looking back you kind of have some insight into yourself recognizing that i didn't really know who i was and i was looking to them to let me know whether i was attractive whether i was interesting whether i was cool whether i was <laughs> sexy whether i was intriguing and somebody uh, who could be a good companion to them rather than knowing in myself that i was whole and that i was loved and that i was cherished not necessarily needing them to be the one loving and valuing and cherishing me. And so, yeah, just think about balancing that, um, filling ourselves, filling our wells, which allows us to just kind of observe and be with. Like when I hear you both speak, I'm thinking about the level of self-awareness that you've cultivated. And I'll, I'll put myself in there too, that we we have cultivated to be able to look back on our lives, to recognize what we've experienced with some object objectivity and some distance, and then to recognize what we can do for ourselves now. And so much of it is giving ourselves what we have turned to others to give us, whether it was our parents or our partners or our children. Earlier, Amrit, you talked about, the playlist of songs and how one day you just didn't want to listen to it anymore. When I hear that, I just want to celebrate. It's almost like that gauge of recovery and healing of that, that which fulfilled something before is no longer serving you. And also just so grateful that we're having this conversation because I can tell you, I've never really had this conversation before, not in this way.
0: Yeah. Yeah so honestly and so vulnerably about the playlist. So (laughs) I, I still listen to those songs, like my most favorite love songs. Yet, I listen to them with a completely different eye. I'm often noticing the codependency, the fantasy, the obsession. And a friend taught me this, I listen to those songs now. But without thinking of a male partner, I think of myself. So I'm singing those love songs to myself about myself, or all those words are about my relationship to the divine. And that has transformed those songs so profoundly for me. So it makes it a pleasure again, instead of a longing for a romantic uh, partner. And then for me, some of the real guideposts to know that I'm spinning out into love addiction, codependency and fantasy, you know, Farheen, you were talking about um, when we are looking to another person to mirror us, that's definitely one. I'm going to just read out some of the characteristics um, in love addiction that I so uh, relate to. Having few healthy boundaries we become sexually involved with and emotionally attached to people without knowing them i fall so hard and fast i want to merge i don't know where i begin and the other person ends we are fused together that's definitely an, has been an issue for me i don't i don't speak that into the present or the future because i am committed to that not being my current or future reality Fearing abandonment and loneliness, we stay in and return to painful, destructive relationships, concealing our dependency, or I would like to say interdependency needs from ourselves and others, growing more isolated and alienated from friends and loved ones, ourselves and uh, the divine. And Amardeep, I I go back to what you said earlier, and that is, um, I was also so high-functioning that nobody could have guessed. I was in such denial and so high functioning, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was fine. I had a job, I had a wide circle of friends and loved ones and traveling and this, that and everything, all kinds of hobbies, like I didn't have a problem. It was buried uh, so deep. Another characteristic I really relate to is we confuse love with neediness, physical and sexual attraction, pity, and or the need to rescue um, or be rescued. We become immobilized or seriously distracted by romantic or sexual obsessions or fantasies. I realize now how fast I can go into fantasy. And I learned that from so young, my childhood reality was so painful, I just wanted to take myself somewhere else. And I notice it even to this day. So I am so committed to reality, and bringing myself back into reality. And then we avoid responsibility for ourselves by attaching ourselves to people who are emotionally unavailable. I mean, the joke I have made in the past is, if there's a room of 99 available men and one unavailable man I will find that one unavailable (laughs) and be attracted (laughs) again that's my past I no longer wish it into the present or future but I feel like it helps to have a bit of a sense of humor at the absurdity of being in the hamster wheel in the past Finally, we assign magical qualities to others, we idealize and pursue them, then blame them for not fulfilling our fantasies and expectations, which can never be met. So those are some of the core manifestations of how romantic
2: love has played out in my life. With the characteristic related to abandonment and staying in relationships because of fear of just being on my own. I've done that numerous times. And with my love addiction, I found I didn't want to feel the feelings when you know, I'd be on my own. And what I would do is I would, you know, go online dating apps and try to cover up whatever I was truly feeling with something that you know, would be maybe exciting or something to look forward to. And it was like pushing down my feelings. And that never worked, because it temporarily worked. And then obviously, I would just make the wrong choices. And like you said, uh, Mohini, with the whole, you know, putting magical qualities on individuals, and then realizing, wait a minute, (laughs) that individual doesn't even exist, that was in my head. You know, that's very uh, difficult and disappointing. And that's what I've just realized as well that um, now I need to just go through my feelings, learn about myself, learn what I need. Um, I find with the 12 step recovery, I've realized that um, I've become very spiritual. And if I want to go get into a future relationship or, you know, get back into the dating field, I, I want to be with someone that's spiritual because that's so important to me now. I feel like now I have things in mind of what I need and what I want. Whereas before, when I would, you know, go on dating apps, I would just go for whoever liked me. And if I was attracted to that person physically, then, you know, okay, let's see where things go. But now no, I no longer look at it that way. It's more about getting to know the person is their respect is their honesty is their trust. And there's just so much more than you know, just physical attraction and having, you know, these great things said and then, you know, with the actions speaking differently than the words.
0: So I'd like to read a passage out of Bell Hook's book, All About Love, New Visions. We are all capable of changing our attitudes about, quote unquote, falling in love. We can acknowledge the click we feel when we meet someone new As just that, a mysterious sense of connection that may or may not have anything to do with love. However, it could or could not be the primal connection while simultaneously acknowledging that it will lead us to love. How different things might be if, rather than saying, I think I'm in love, we were saying, I've connected with someone in a way that makes me think I'm on the way to knowing love. Or instead of saying I am in love, we said I am loving or I will love. Our patterns around romantic love are unlikely to change if we do not change our language. Again, this this book is such a beau is such beautiful meditations on so many different kinds of love. And I think um yeah, I'm really re-examining what, what is romantic love. And that can only begin by me loving myself and seeing and receiving love in all its expressions. And romantic love may be something I have again, but that is not my preoccupation anymore. I found something better.
1: Yeah. Another reason I'm so grateful we're talking about this is uh, we're talking about recovery, 12-step recovery, support, and seeking support. I started therapy when I was 22 and have had multiple therapists over my life, my adult life, and have benefited so much. But it's not something that I necessarily talk about, especially in the South Asian community. And so I'm just thinking about what it takes for us to, to seek help. You know, sometimes it's what, what people may call rock bottom, whatever that is, but just so proud of us for doing that, for like asking for help when we need it and recognizing that we can't really do our healing alone. No. Yeah. I think I was white knuckling it
0: for so long. I thought I could just do it myself by reading some books and like you, like maybe having some therapy therapy. Um, and what I've come to learn is um being vulnerable, saying I'm not okay. I have I have some real difficulties. Like I, I was even in Farheen, you and I talked about doing this episode on romance and love, and I thought to myself, I need to share publicly that I have. Um, issues with love addiction and codependency, and to take the shame out of it. This is not something we choose. This is something that we have come to learn. And again, I want to say that through our own individual unique experience, um, the families that we were raised in the culture. And I also want to say as women and girls, we are socialized, to believe that our only worth is is predicated on a certain number of things, how attractive we are physically, how much we give. Our role in this patriarchal, nonsensical world, abusive world. I have so many adjectives, yes. um, negative ones, you know, sweary ones. <laughs> um, but we we learn, we and we have profoundly internalized and metabolized our low self-worth. Our only worth is to pursue a man. And um, I want to just show you one book. (laughs) It's uh, (laughs) got a very provocative title. It says, I hate men. (laughs) And it's an essay by a French um, woman that really uh, gained notoriety this past Uh, year in 2020, she wrote this essay and then a man from the Ministry of Gender Equality in France uh, called for a ban on her essay, which actually catapulted the essay into worldwide (laughs) renown and went from 450 copies being published to like millions of copies and um, translated into so many languages. And one of the chapters is uh, called the Heterosexuality Trap. And I just want to read a short bit from it. But we never give the them, children, the option of not wanting one, a relationship. With girls, it's reinforced by an armada of cliches and conventions conveyed through the fairy stories they absorb from the sleeping beauty waiting for a kiss from a prince to be brought back to life, to the lonesome, wicked witch who devours other people's children. Boys, meanwhile, grow up with a more nuanced vision, thanks to a fantasy world peopled by solitary heroes who achieve extraordinary things because of their superpowers. The message is fundamentally the same, but boys have more opportunities to develop different perspectives. They're not so bound to this image of themselves trapped in a depressing, inert solitude. Their sense of self-worth is not conditioned by the fact of having a girlfriend or a wife. They're encouraged to be actors in a turbulent life, to reach for their dreams, to give their all to reach to the top of the mountain. Little girls, meanwhile, must wait for their Prince Charming to turn up. Later, when they get older, they'll discover that it's considered strange for a woman to make the first move in a romantic relationship. Not to mention that it's considered scandalous for a woman to recognize and be able to express her desires. Women need to be in a couple for a single woman doesn't have as much value in the eyes of the world as a woman who belongs to a man. So even though I pursued all kinds of things and felt strong and happy and accomplished, and have celebrated myself and been celebrated by people I love, there's always been this undercurrent of, yeah, like, I, I'm, not, I'm not truly complete until a man dignifies me and um, validates me as a worthy human being, because he has chosen to love me and sticks around. That's such garbage. Yeah. yeah every day right every day um almost at every turn it's resistance and it's building for me that inner resilience and that critical thinking So all ideas it's like again amarty if I go back to the Bollywood songs you know we make choices and I I want to and commit to being, aware and conscious and committed to reality, instead of that fantasy. So that all ideas coming towards me, as consciously as I can, be in relation to it instead of absorbing it wholesale. I don't want to absorb those, those ideas anymore. I want to critique them. And some of the some ideas that come to me may be good, and I want to relate to them. And absorb them, and others that seem to be like the basic cis-heteropatriarchal operating system, the, the very waters we swim in, to say, no, that doesn't work for me. And I think as, as women, girls, and I think as uh, men and boys, I think we can resist it. We, we are celebrating that resistance.
2: Mohini, what I wanted to um, also mention was you said in uh, how it's not a choice, the love addiction and codependency. It's so true. I realized it had a lot to do with my childhood and abandonment. And it wasn't that I was physically abandoned by my parents. I was emotionally abandoned. That, you know, has really helped in my journey, especially with self-forgiveness for, the ways I have acted out and done things in my past. Now, I'm able to understand where it comes from and what happened. And even where my father is concerned, I have a lot of compassion for him. And I actually really love my dad a lot. And I just think I, I can't even imagine the dysfunction he probably experienced. Nowadays, we're so fortunate to have all these resources that we can actually get better. In my dad's time, it was a totally different thing. Being able to reach out and ask for that help. That was so difficult for me coming from an alcoholic home, an abusive home because it was all about keeping secrets, not sharing with anybody what was going on within the home. If anyone would share it, then it would be like um, you're betraying your family. With the whole uh, 12-step recovery, I finally have a place where I can share everything that I feel, think, and there's no judgment. It's a safe place for me. That is so, so important. The community um, aspect and making those connections because addiction involves isolation, which is what I did all my life, and recovery involves connection.
0: A recent film I saw, which is the antithesis of Bollywood films, and it's on Netflix and it's called Once Again, which was such a beautiful, nuanced, complicated, sensitive look at romantic love
1: um, between two people who are older. I thought it was really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. I often think of my marriage now as the antithesis of a Bollywood love story (laughs) or any love story in any of the movies that I ever watched or television shows growing up, which actually to me indicates that I'm in a a relationship that's right for me. The ways in which my marriage is different from my past romantic relationships, there are several ways, but one thing that comes to mind is that it's rooted in our well-being, That we prioritize self-care and then we check in with each other regularly, essentially about how are you doing? What do you need? Do you have what you need? Not always can I provide you with what you need, but do you have what you need to feel well, to be well, and just speaking our truth. I also think about it as radical acceptance. If I want to be radically accepted and unconditionally loved, how can I practice that radical acceptance and unconditional love of my partner? Which means doing away with all of the conventional notions of what a relationship is supposed to be. And uh, it's a challenge. Every day we're challenged because of other people's ideas and notions of what marriage is supposed to be. And then just to reaffirm and feel grounded in what it is for us in this moment.
0: And actually what's happening is, Farheen, when I hear you say that, it's love in action. The Bollywood films, the Hollywood films, it's all about I love you and these empty fantastical um, gestures. But love, I'm coming to realize, is love in action. It's choosing love.
1: Yes, and it kind of comes back full circle, you know, to what has been, I think, one of the main threads in our conversation today. You know, that, that love in action, our ability to love others is rooted in our ability to love ourselves. So as we sort of wind down our, our conversation, I wonder if we can maybe talk a little bit more about that. Like, what does self-love mean to you? How do you love yourself? Who wants to go first? Uh,
2: I, I can go ahead. Uh, what I find loving myself, I pray on a daily basis. I meditate. And it's so interesting. Right after I do that, like, I feel amazing. And that I find is self-love. The other thing I find the way I love myself is that, you know, situations occur. I try to deal with them in a responsible manner, and respond rather than react to them. And, you know, just every day I try to live my life the way um, I believe God would want me to live my life, and to be a good, fair person. Taking the time out for myself to do things that I enjoy, whether it's watching a movie, which actually I did the other day was a really good movie. And I find that's when my inner child is saying, stop your recovery work, stop doing everything, you know, just let, you know, me watch a movie and enjoy it. So I really, you know, had that pleasure this week to do that. A few months ago as well, taking myself out to a really amazing lunch. And I, you know, just told myself, I don't need to be in a romantic relationship to do such things. I can treat myself and enjoy those things as well. So yeah, that that's a lot of my top line behaviors, I find.
1: So for me, as someone who's just beginning my recovery from codependency, self-love is very much rooted in basic self-care. So like when I remember to drink water, (laughs) that's (laughs) self-love. When I take my time in the shower and just like enjoy the warmth of the water on my body, that's self-love. Doing this podcast is self-love. And also, similar to your comment, Amriti, really connecting with the inner child is is my practice. And so coloring, puzzles, watching cartoons, (laughs) um, and uh, dancing. So Mohini and I, we share a a playlist that we each add songs to to surprise each other. And they're full-on joyful dance music. So nothing too contemplative, nothing too melancholic, which is what I used to listen to back in the day. And just trying to weave in joy throughout the day, even into the mundane. So often if I am doing any housework, I actually won't do it unless I'm listening to music <laughs> that I that gives me energy or a really awesome podcast or something. So Um, learning to embed it into the mundane, into the daily, um, and then to have those indulgent moments that you talked about, and to really recognize the pleasure in being with my own company. As much as I enjoy social time with the people in my life that I care about, I love experiencing things alone with myself and where I don't have to necessarily navigate other people's opinions or like whether they're enjoying themselves like if I am then that's enough and that's everything right so yeah that's how I am practicing and cultivating love for myself and for my life. Mahini, For me self-love sounds
0: like a lot of loving words to myself When I'm having a hard moment or even a joyful moment, it sounds like, you know, I love you, my dear, using terms of endearments for myself. Um, I write a little love note to myself every morning. (laughs) So that's really nice, really acknowledging where I am. So being very present and very loving with words towards myself. The other really self-loving thing is feeling my feelings, I've often disassociated and shamed myself for um, a lot of pain or difficult feelings like anger. And now I feel my feelings. And I acknowledge them and I tend to them. Again, whether it's joy or pain or something in between. Like you, Amrdeep, um, a deep spiritual practice for me is very self-loving. Yeah. And honoring where I am in any given moment feels very self-loving. And I don't judge um, or I watch the judgment, if there is any, of what I may be thinking, feeling, or doing. It's taking so much shame and blame away from myself. Yeah. Those are
1: some of the things. There's a long list.
0: Thank goodness.
1: So we just want to express deep, deep gratitude and full hearts of thanks to Amrdeep for joining us today um, as our special guest in this really rich and inspiring conversation. We'd like to share some questions with you. Here's one for self-reflection. How do I show love and receive love? What
0: does it mean to decolonize concepts of love?
2: What does self-love mean to you? And what are the different ways that you practice self-love?
1: Thank you for listening and reflecting with us. We trust that you'll continue to have great conversations with the people in your life. Join us again because we've got lots more to say. If you'd like to connect with us email us at notyouraverageaunties at gmail.com.
0: We all belong and matter. This world needs all of us to continue creating a more just world for everyone. Bye for now.